Good morning, everyone. Thank you all for coming to church today. I am glad you all showed up. It would be really difficult talking to empty seats. Uh, I heard that line from a documentary we saw recently on John MacArthur and the whole 2020 church closing. And one of the pastors said it was really sad to have to speak to the empty church. So that was a reality for some. I'm glad it is not my reality today. So welcome and thank you for being here, even though many of you have heard the pastor Jacques won't be here and you still showed up. So, so I, uh, I appreciate that. As you have heard from Pastor Jacques, he's out of town, um, attending the Grace Agenda um, in Moscow, Idaho. Uh, the, the, their family took a nice little road trip up there a little bit ahead of time so they could make a little vacation out of it. So we just pray that they had a great time and that they come back to us in one piece. Pastor, thank you for all that you do and we're looking forward to coming back. Pastor Jacques attends a monthly meeting um, with, a, with a bunch of pastors it's called CGN, Chicagoland Gospel Network. Uh, there are about 30 highly educated men. Some of them are MDivs, Masters of Divinity. They have PhDs. And they discuss all kinds of things, all types of topics from the Bible. And one topic that they were recently discussing was uh, the topic of prayer. And they were going through a book call, called Calling on the Name of the Lord. Uh, Pastor Jacques uh, picked this book up. He was really encouraged by it. And he thought it was a really great study material. Um, they went through it. Pastor Jacques picked it up, I purchased it, started reading through it, and we agreed on this being the topic for today's sermon. Um, this is not an easy read book. This is more of an academic kind of a book. It was written by Dr. Gary Miller, uh, Miller, and it takes time to get through it. You have to look up fancy words and scriptures and references, trying to make sense out of it, but it is definitely giving you a perspective on prayer that maybe is not readily available in some other books that teach you on how to pray, you know, how to grow yourself and be better. It's all about me, me, me. This is definitely focusing on something different that we'll cover in our, in our service today. Um, so we'll just get right into it. Teaching on prayer, it has a fearful element to it. It's not something simple. It's deep. There are many books written on it. As, you know, this is a thick book, small print. It almost feels like one has to tread lightly and carefully, even fearfully, when touching the subject. It's almost like touching the ark. And those of you who have gone through the Bible, reading through the Old Testament, um, I went through it once with the women of the word, with the wow group. And don't worry, I know what woman is, but <laughs> since my two beautiful ladies were gonna go through it, I was not gonna miss out. So I jumped on the wagon with the women of the word and went through the Bible once with them. And now as a congregation, we're going through it again. So as you go through it, and by the way, if you're not a part of it, I encourage you to jump on board and go through it. Don't worry about what happened already and how many chapters we've gone through. Just jump in where we are today and just keep going because I'm pretty sure we're going to go through it year after year because each time we go through it, new truths pop up, new things become relevant and become really obvious to us that we have not seen before. So there is one scripture there about the ark. A very well-meaning guy went to touch the ark to prevent it from falling and you know, he fell dead. So just know that I'm taking this seriously and I'm not just winging it. Pastor Han inside joke. Uh, <clears throat> so we often look at ministry as a list of boxes to check. Evangelize, check box. You know, train in scripture and hermeneutics, check. Encourage consistency in Bible reading, study, check. Uh, encourage people to start serving the body of Christ, check. And it, although it's all very encouraging when people do all those things, um, it, it, it's not a small thing. And especially in our church, serving the body, we have so many people serving and we're not making you know, small of it. It is a beautiful thing. But many times, the one thing that's left out is actually prayer. 
So as I studied on the subject of prayer, I found that foundational scholars of the Protestant Reformation and the Puritans held the view of prayer that God did not ordain prayer for his sake as much as he did it for our sake. Your prayer life was ordained by God as the means through which he would add to, what, add to you what was needed, subtract from you what was bad for you, divide you from those who were not called to be in your life, and multiply your fruitfulness. So I'm not sure if there is any more um, helpful, more empowering, more edifying gift other than maybe someone teaching us how to pray. If you know how to pray and you have your priorities right in life and you pray the right way, um, as you will see as I continue, all the other things will be added to you. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Point number one, Actually, I missed a line that I wanted to say. So consider these three most important results of prayer, and we'll have some of them pop on the screen. Uh, number one, there is a direct connection between the degree of your, of your prayer life and the degree of God's power in your life to change. Prayer is God's process of freeing you from vices. We all have vices. Molding you and making you into the new man or woman he has created you to be. Think of it, the disciples accurately discerned the connection between Jesus' time in prayer and the degree of power in his life. We have many uh, references in the scripture where Jesus went to pray. And then there's another scripture, and Jesus went to pray. And I always thought about this, he is God. What is he praying about? Why is he praying? But obviously, that is where he drew his power, and he spent time in prayer. So if Jesus prayed, I think it's a good indication that we should pray also. The disciples accurately discerned the connection between Jesus' time in prayer and the degree of power in his life. This is why the disciples never asked Jesus to teach them how to walk on water. They never asked him, hey, how do you heal? They never asked him, um, you know, how do I take a boy's lunch and feed thousands with it? They never asked him, hey, how did you do that, that trick uh, changing water into wine? They never asked him that. No, but they did ask him how to pray. Luke 11, 1 says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. That was the only thing that they ever asked him to teach them, because they knew that was his source of strength, wisdom, and power. Number two, prayer is God's chosen way of empowering a person for life and ministry. Jesus went into the desert to pray and fast 40 days and 40 nights. Again, another mention of Jesus praying. And this is some strong prayer. 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, praying and fasting. And the Bible says he returned. He came out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. Luke 4.14 says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So this is just something for us to consider. And please know that as I speak to you, I speak to myself as I was preparing and learning and teaching and, and, and putting some notes together. I was definitely teaching myself on this. But if you are feeling weak, defeated, um, the obvious connection that needs to be made is with prayer. So I'm not telling you that you have to pray. I'm just saying, what do you think could happen if you did pray? What we're seeing here with the scriptures and the fact that Jesus spent so much time in prayer, being God you know, in flesh, is that God empowers people through prayer. And Jesus was a perfect example of that when he prayed so much, even as far as going for 40 days and, um, and 40 nights praying and fasting. Point number three, prayer is God's chosen way of accomplishing things in this earth. And um, the other thing that I wanted to mention about the previous thing is when we read about the scriptures when Jesus talks about prayer, 
He doesn't say, if you feel like praying, um, when you get to praying, if you get a chance to pray, it's kind of straightforward and says, like in Matthew 6, 5, it says, and when you pray. If Jesus says, when you pray, I don't think it was an option. It was something that he said, when you do this, it's when you pray, when you pray and fast. So it's something that, and for us to take out. Um, not too long ago, I was reading through the scriptures and I started noticing a few different places where the word says, when you do this, when something, or, you know, it's not about if, or if you feel like it, it's, you need to do this, it's a matter of when, and try not to make it too scarce. It should be frequently enough. So point three is prayer is God's chosen way of accomplishing things on earth. Matthew 6.10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, we all know he told them the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer begins with, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, Jesus would not have taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, if it was not something he wanted us to do. It is crystal, crystal clear that God has chosen prayer to be a conduit through which he will establish his kingdom on earth. God, had, God could have decided to establish his kingdom in a million different ways, but his foreknowledge and wisdom, he has decided on accomplishing this fantastic task through prayer. The reason this is so amazing is because this is how he foreordained you and me to be a part of all that he has purposed to do. This is why we must see prayer as a divine privilege. It is not something that we have to do, because God can do whatever he wants. He's sovereign, he's big, he created this earth, he created everything in it, he's doing everything that he wants to do. He can make a donkey speak if he wants, but, and there's reference to that in scripture, I'm not making stuff up, he does make donkeys speak when he wants. So, we do not have to pray, we actually get to pray. We get to be a part of what God is doing, and he's using, he's using prayer as a conduit through which he can accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. An interesting, interesting thing about prayer is that it's everywhere in the scripture. From the opening pages in the Bible in Genesis, in Genesis 4.26, when people first began to call on the name of the Lord, all the way through the end of the Bible, in the closing of the book of Revelation, when the church says, uh, praise, come Lord Jesus, in Revelation 20, 20, 22, 20. There are different kinds of prayers um, that one can pray. And... You know, us going, Pastor Jacques and I going through the book, you know, calling on the name of the Lord, we haven't gotten through the whole book yet. So we're teaching, or I'm teaching, based on first few paragraphs of, the, of this book. So what I teach on today is not the whole thing that, that, that there is to teach on prayer. There's much more to it, and we're going to focus on just one aspect of prayer today. But there are different types of prayer. We have prayer of repentance. We have prayer of thanksgiving, the prayer of faith, et cetera, et cetera. But the kind of prayer I would like to set forth today is to show you from Scripture what it means to call on the name of the Lord. If I succeed in my mission today, I believe each and every one of you will start praying in this very powerful, meaningful way, and it's going to be very beneficial to, to all of us. When you see the term calling on the name of the Lord, again, I keep push, pulling this up because it's funny how somebody will call something out and it's almost like cars on the road. When you start researching Teslas, or you start researching, I don't know, Ford Mustangs, next thing you know, you're seeing them all over the road. So when I saw calling them of the Lord in the book, and I started reading through it, all of a sudden things are jumping out in the scriptures at you, like, oh, there it is. I never paid attention to it. So when you see the 
term calling on, on the name of the Lord, it always refers to the act of asking God or calling on God to come through on his promises. Now, there was a time in a long time ago when I wanted to be a lawyer. So I went to school, got my undergrad, pre-law, business administration, was going to get my JD. God had different plans for me. So today I'm going to play the lawyer um, here in front of you, where I'm going to make a case in front of you and with you uh, on a specific interpretation of the statement, calling on the name of the Lord. So I'll get to build a case as to why it literally means to ask God or to call on God to come through on his promises. So before reading to you the very first prayer ever prayed in the Bible, I need to share with you a backdrop to this prayer, just so that it makes more sense and you guys can get into it. So God has promised Eve and the serpent that there will be a hostile war between his offspring and her offspring. The, the serpent's offspring will bruise his heel, but her offspring will crush the serpent's head. Now, if you slow down and you read this again, it will, it will make you go into a rabbit hole. Satan has offsprings. So it says that, so it must be true, right? So we're not going to go into that rabbit hole. Um, we'll have some conversations after church when I'm not on the camera and pastor is not listening. <clears throat> so let's read, God's, let's read God's promise. Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offsprings and hers. Again, between your offsprings and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This promise is obviously referring to Christ destroying the power and the work of Satan on the cross. However, Adam and Eve obviously did not know that. When they were kicked out of the garden, they were fellowshipping with God. They were walking with God. They had a very close relationship with him. And then the fall happened and the sin entered the world and they were separated. You know they missed it. They were in paradise in heaven and they were kicked out and they had to go and work the land, you know, live by the sweat of their brow with childbirth pains. So Adam and Eve must have wanted to go back. They, they, they knew they messed up. So when God said to, to, to Eve and Adam that your offspring will crush the head of Satan, they knew that there's going to be reconciliation and redemption. So they were like, awesome, there is a plan. This is not forever. So this was a very, very extremely redeeming and hope-filled promise from God because he was promising a deliverer that would come. I can only imagine how, ex how much expectation and anticipation Adam and Eve had every time Eve gave birth to a son. After this promise comes a long time of seeing nothing happen. This promise was not being fulfilled. Think of it. Eve gave birth to Cain, but then he killed her second son Abel. Well, he's not a redeemer. He's not a savior. Then she had Seth, who had Enosh. Yet none of Eve's offspring seemed to fit the profile of a redeemer, deliverer, or a savior who would crush the serpent's head. It, seems, uh, it seemed like it was never going to happen. And if you remember, Adam lived for like a thousand years. So they were waiting and they were hoping and it was, not coming, it was not coming to pass. Since it seemed like God's promise was not being fulfilled, they responded to God in a very distinct way. And let's read Genesis 4.25 through 26. This is where, based on this book and based on the reading that I've done, is where prayer entered the world. So Genesis 4, 25 through 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he, and he called his name Enosh. But Enosh passed away shortly thereafter, so again. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is literally the first reference of prayer happening in the scriptures in Genesis 4. 
At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Because of God's promise to Eve, the most natural explanation as to why people started calling on the name of the Lord after the birth of Enosh is that they were asking God to fulfill his original promise he made them. Case done? My, my message is over. No. Dave would be excited if I, if I ended here. I would have beaten the record of the shortest sermon ever preached at this pulpit. Dave, I hope you're watching. <laughs> so, so there might be some truth. You might be saying there might be some truth to this, but we, you guys, I'm sure, need more evidence. The calling in the name of the Lord is something people do in response to a promise given by God. We need more evidence that calling on the name of the Lord is, in fact, calling on God to come through on his promises. Well, I'm glad you asked because we have more to cover. Um, but given that a promise was made to Adam and Eve in the garden and it wasn't coming to pass, we see the people coming forth and calling on the name of the Lord. So the introduction of prayer is not about, God, make my farming easier. Eve did not pray, can I please not have these pains? They knew that that was just part of life and they were not praying for those things to get easier. They went back on the promise that God made, which is about salvation, about redemption, about the Savior coming to, uh, coming to the earth because God promised. So given that you're not satisfied with my evidence, playing the lawyer that I am today, preacher forward slash lawyer, let's take a look at our second example that shows the exact same truth. In Genesis 12, God gives Abram this famous promise. Abram, because it was before he got his name changed to Abraham. Genesis 12, 133 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. There's a promise, right? And I will make of you a great nation. Promise. And I will bless you and make your name great. Promise. So that you will be a blessing. Promise. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, um, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this promise from God to Abram is now followed by his journey. So I'm not going to go through all those scriptures, but God gave Abram this promise, and then they traveled. And then they went to this distant land without family, without anyone. So after they traveled and arrived, Genesis 12, 8 says, From there, Abram, he, moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So we see another example. God made a promise to Abram. He traveled, went to where God told him to go to. And then when he got there, he built an altar. And then what did he do? Again, here are the words jumping out, you know, jumping out of the scripture at us. The Lord, uh, he built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. Another evidence that his prayer was to call on God. Be like, hey, you promised you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. I am calling upon your name right now. Here's the altar, here's the offering. And he was hopeful that the promises will come to pass. So what have we established so far? We saw people calling in the name of the Lord as a response to the promise God gave Adam and Eve, or gave Eve um, in Genesis that we read earlier. Secondly, we saw that Abraham's call on the name of the Lord as a response to the promise God gave him. So let us consider a third example of calling on the name of the Lord in the book of Genesis, and let's see how this uh, kind of prayer relates to God's promises. The backstory to this portion of scripture is that Father Abraham at this point has already passed away at this point. And here, God gives a promise to his son Isaac, his promised son. In Genesis 26, 
24 through 25. And the Lord appeared to him, to Isaac, the same night and said, I am God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servants Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and, sure enough, called upon the name of the Lord. Doesn't make any references of him wanting to be blessed, him wanting to be multiplied or anything. He called on the promises that God has given him because God gave promises to Isaac also, talking about and referring to what he would do for Abraham. And now he was giving a promise to Isaac. So sure enough, Isaac went and called upon his name. So it is undeniable that a man of prayer has one single response to God's promise, and that is to call on the name of the Lord. To call on the name of the Lord, then, is to respond to God's promises, his covenant with us, by calling on him to fulfill his promises. As we talk about prayer, and this has been a question that we've talked about here at this church, we've talked about this um, in just different conversations, but if God is sovereign, why do we need to pray? God is going to do what he wants to do. Why, why do we pray if he is sovereign? God is going to do what he wants to do, and I can choose to be a part of it, or part of what he is going to do or not. So I mentioned that before, that God has created this conduit for us to be a part of what he's doing in this world. Prayer is God's way of involving you and me in what he has purposed to happen. Prayer is God's way of changing me along the, process, uh, along the process of fulfilling his purposes. Prayer is God's way of empowering the one who prays. And we talked about Jesus going into the garden praying, going into the desert praying, and being empowered. You and I are not just flesh. We're not just humans that need to eat and drink. We are spiritual beings. So we don't just... We don't have to. We get to pray. But when we pray, it's almost like a vehicle, right? If you don't put gas in the car, it won't go. Imagine that prayer, spending time with, with, with the Lord, is like putting fuel into your spirit, man. If Jesus had to do it, we have to do it. And this is why we should pray. It's, it's one of the many reasons why we should pray. But just, just, again, making another connection for you that prayer is important. So here is a new and noble biblical thought. Just like they called on the name of the Lord in Genesis chapter 4, calling on God to fulfill his promise to raise up Eve's offspring who would crush Satan's head, Jesus, the answer to their prayers, appeared 4,000 years later. It took a long time. Obviously, Adam and Eve did not get to see it on earth. But their calling on the name of the Lord was fulfilled 4,000 year years later, which tells us that our prayers today matter for all eternity. When we pray today, it's not just about something that's going to happen today, tomorrow. Your prayers, especially when we're talking about your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's not necessarily for it to happen today, tomorrow. How many of our forefathers in our, in our faith have prayed and we're seeing a lot of the fruits of it now? It's not necessarily something that's going to happen today or tomorrow. And as I was thinking about this, I had a joke that popped into my mind. It's not in my notes. Let's see if it comes out right. Since I am the priest of the household, since I am the leader of the household and I'm the godhead of my household, my wife uh, has these things that she wants me to do and she tells me and says, please do it and I say, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. This is me reinforcing a joke that's out there that you don't have to remind me every six months to do it, I'll get to it, I'll do it. <laughs> hey, this promise here took 4,000 years, it's only been six months since you asked for the shelf. So, <laughs> 
So to call on the name of the Lord is not a means of empowering God to fulfill his promises, but it is the prayer of faith we pray to see God's promises come to pass through us. And since I distracted you with my joke, I'm going to read that again. To call on the name of the Lord is not a means of empowering God to fulfill his promises. He doesn't need us to empower him. His it is the prayer of faith we pray to see God's promises come to pass through us. We get to play a role and a part in that, in that work that God has started. So those are Old Testament um, examples. And, you know, maybe God hasn't spoken to you directly as he did to Abram or as he spoke to Isaac or when he spoke to Elijah and different, and different prophets and he gave him promises and then they called upon the name of the Lord to have those promises come through. So I think I would do you a disservice if I didn't take some time and walk through how one can do this in a practical way with some of the promises that were given to us in the New Testament. And there are a good amount of those, of those promises in the New Testament. So let's take a look at a few of many New Testament promises God made to us, which gives us the responsibility of asking God to fulfill what he said he would. So point number one out of the New Testament teaching that we'll do now is that God promises children that all things will work out for their good and his glory. Now this scripture here, I'll read it first and then I'm going to talk about this. Romans 8:28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't this one of those scriptures that gets twisted all the time out there? Wrong hermeneutics. The fancy word that we learn in Bible school with Pastor Jacques. I keep throwing it around. Hermeneutics makes me feel like I'm smart. <laughs> hermeneutics. So the... You know, many people out there will quote this, you know, all things will work together for the good. Oh, it's all going to work out for the good. Yes, but um, you're leaving a huge part of the scripture out where it says, who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose, I, this scripture is not for just anyone and everybody. It's actually for those that are called and those that love God. So with this scripture, there's a promise here. We as the elect, we as the children of God, the ones that are saved by Christ, it says here that all things will work together for good. It's a promise. So how could we pray this promise? I'm going to give you a practical example, just something for you to consider. We could pray something like this. Lord, you know my situation. You know the details of everything going on in my life, with my marriage, my children, my finances. There's so much in my life I do not have the ability of changing. I now call upon your name and humbly ask you to fulfill your promise to me in Romans 8.28. Lord, you are able and I believe you are willing to cause all these things that are out of my control to work for the good, to work according to your purposes. Lord, I trust you. I trust that you know what I really need. I trust your timing. I trust that you can work things out so that my life will glorify you. Amen. Another promise we can look at is God promises you comfort during your trials. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's a promise right here that he will comfort us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those that are in any trouble. So for example, with this one, you could pray something like this. Lord, I feel weary, burdened, and I'm struggling. It seems as though I am going through a trial. I am calling on your name according to your promise in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 to comfort me in this 
whatever it is that you're going through. Thank you for always coming through on all, your, on all you have promised. Amen. Now, some prayers will not be answered right away. Again, um, God is sovereign. He knows what's right, what's good for you. Those of you who are parents, your kids ask you for all kinds of things, and you don't always give them those things that they want. My boys wanted to have a dirt bike or e-bike or some sort when they were three, four years old. I would not give them one of those things that go 20 miles an hour. It would be unwise. So they asked. I wouldn't give it to them because I know what's right for them. When they got to be of age, nine, 10, 10 and a half, now they have a Razor dirt bike that goes 14 miles an hour. Now Matthew got himself an e-bike that goes 19 miles an hour. Now they're ready for it. Now we can answer that. Pr the answers are prayer. The, the prayers are answered, and they're able to do the certain things that they could not do back then. So, as we're learning through this, we have to make sure that we still keep in mind that yes, we can call upon the name of the Lord on His promises, but He still has the timing. He is still the one that's going to decide if it's good for you, if it's the right timing for you. Number three, God promised you every spiritual blessing in Christ in heavenly places. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now this scripture here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Spiritual blessings here are going to be regarding to redemption and salvation. So this is something that we can do uh, a prayer, a Thanksgiving prayer for forgiveness and, uh, and of, of our sins. So this, is, this could be a very simple prayer, prayer for this promise. Lord, sometimes doubt tries to come in regards to my salvation. I know I sometimes doubt in myself, right? So Lord, sometimes I doubt. Sometimes doubt tries to come in regards to my salvation. And now I call on your name, knowing that you will fulfill your promises in, in gifting me with the gift of repentance, gift of faith, with eternal life. Number four, God promises to complete the work he has started in me and my family. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. One could pray, Lord, you have saved me and my family. You have started this wonderful work of salvation and redemption in my wife and my children. I now turn the promise you made. I now turn to the promise you made, which is that you will complete this glorious work of salvation and sanctification you have started in my children's lives, in my wife's life, and in mine. So this is, again, talking about the process of the sanctification. We know that when we get born again, when we get saved, you don't just become perfect right there and then. You can pray to God that he will give the gift of repentance because we're going to mess up. We're going to go back. We're going we're gonna to trip over ourselves and, and, and sin again and again. It tells us here that we can still pray and reassure ourselves that we are saved and ask for forgiveness, and he will give us the gift of repentance. So seek God while he may, he may be found. God promises peace. This is a, this is a big one. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing. This is one of those things that I mentioned before when Jesus said, when you pray, when you pray and fast. It's not if you choose to, if you get to it. No, God, Jesus said when. Philippians 4, 6 to 7 says, be anxious for nothing. It doesn't say if you can handle stress and anxiety, then don't be anxious. No, it says be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
you don't even have to pray much. You just read this scripture right here and your, your soul and your, you should be able to get some peace out of it. I've had moments of anxiousness, anxiety, different things that happen in life um, and you feel overwhelmed. I remember going back to the scripture and just, just, just repeating it over and over and trying to settle myself and be like, you know what? The word says not to be anxious. So if you think that if you are a warrior, and not like a warrior, but my accent comes out sometimes, English is not my first language, but a warrior, when you worry a lot, if you think that worrying about stuff and, 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 and constantly you know, being troubled by things is a godly thing, it's not. It says be anxious for nothing. You should be able to pray about those things and ask God to, to, to give you peace. And I'm not saying that I have it down and if you do have anxiety or have your anxiousness or issues like this that you're not you know, obedient to Christ, I just want to pass along to you what I got out of this when I was reading it and what I've read commentaries on from other smarter people than I am who interpret the scriptures, it, you, you should not be a warrior and constantly worry about things. You should not be anxious. And you can pray the scripture over yourself to help you with it. Point number six is God promises to supply all your needs. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That's one example where, where, we, where we see that if we focus on the right things, on things of God, that all these things things that you need to live are going to be added to you. Philippians 4.19 speaks to this same part. And, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then Matthew 6.11 says, give us this day our daily bread. But if you go back to the Lord's Prayer, he starts off with, your kingdom come, your will will be done. If you focus on God's work, if you focus on things that are important on a larger eternal scale, not so much about me, me, me. We live in the United States of America. Even if people are poor in poverty, they're still better off than a lot of people who are in other countries, in the third world countries or war-torn countries. Even our poor here are better off than regular folks in the other countries. So our prayer about our needs and our wants or our, you know, um, our needs being fill, uh, fulfilled or met is different than what people pray out there in the rest of the world. So keep that in mind when you pray and, you're, and, and, and the things that you're asking God to do for you. Is it really the, what you need to get through day one to day two? Is it really truly that or is it something that you just want extra of, more of? And we live in this uh, consumer nation where we want everything and all and we compare ourselves to Joneses. So we just have to be careful how we pray and what we pray for. And I don't have this in my notes, but Pastor Jacques and I talked about this when we met and talked about this uh, sermon. There's a line in here that reminds us of when Moses prayed, when he was almost getting ready to die. He was pretty close to dying. And if you know the story of what Moses did when he disobeyed God and God told him you will not enter the promised land. Well, when Moses was old, he prayed to God saying like, hey, we're close by. If I could just look into the land, if I could just take a look, if I could just see what it's like. The Bible says that God, God got angered and said, don't talk to me about this ever again. I told you no. So there was a conversation where God got angered about a prayer that he was praying. So again, this is not my notes. And Jacques, I know you're watching. Pastor Jacques, you're watching. So, but I would, I would imagine that when I go to that gas station and I get that billion-dollar Powerball ticket and I pray, God, I'll do good things with this money. We'll have a big church. We'll, we'll, we'll do anything we want to do for the kingdom. Like, you know, I can do good things with this money. I think God is responding to me like he responded to Moses. Like, could you stop praying the prayer of winning the lottery? It's not going to happen. Just, you know, I know it's not good for you. I'm not going to let you. Try again with mega millions at 12 million. Maybe I'll get you that. 
I do not have a gambling problem. I do not buy tickets every week, okay? But when it goes to 1.5 billion, there's an itch of maybe, maybe there's a chance, right? And then I do negotiations with God. I could bless so many people. The whole church could be blessed. Our congregation would know no poverty, ever. It hasn't happened yet, so. So this is not what God means when he, sa when, when he says that he will supply all our needs. It's not winning the lottery. It's not getting the Mercedes. It's not getting that bigger house. That, that prayer has to change a little bit in our mind, and I hope that this helps a little bit. But when talking about the you know, supplying our needs, on a serious note, this is how we can pray. Lord, you know everything I truly need. You would not have told me to pray for provision if your intention was to not answer me. I now follow every biblical example you gave me, and I now call upon your name and ask you to fulfill your promise to provide. Thank you for always being faithful and generous towards me. Amen. So I gave you all the facts that I could come up with uh, in, in the time that we've been here and just of the content that we read so far. So I gave you facts after facts, scriptures after scriptures. So as a good lawyer would, I'm going to see if I can pull on your heartstrings just a little bit. I can become more of a person to you and I can appeal to your emotions and, and try to win your hearts. As lawyers do in trial, they talk to their jury in very, very interesting ways and they, they move them. So I am a father of three. I am a husband of one. <laughs> and my three children, Matthew, Nathan, Elena, they come to me and they ask me for things. You know, and depending on what they ask me, you know, may I have this? Can we do that? Um, are we able to do this? Can you do this? Can I have this? And they have all these different questions. And depending on what the question is, they'll get a yes right away. They'll just get a solid no. Sometimes it's a maybe. And, and that's, just, that's just how it is in life, right? We, we can't just say yes to everything. We say yes to what we can. And we also, as parents, know what's best for them. So we decide what is good. But there are four words that they bring up to me. They get to me because if I tell them that I will and I give them my word, I want to keep my word and I want to be the one to keep the word. I want to be an example to them that if I give them my word that I don't go back on it. If I make them a promise, I should not break their promise. I am a representation of God to them and I, I want to be a good father and I know all of you guys here in this church are also doing, wanting to do the same thing. So when the kids are asking me for something and I'm like, eh, I don't know. And then they go, Daddy, but you said. Those are the four words. Daddy, but you said. Elena doesn't do it as much, but sometimes she does. The boys do it more. But Daddy, you said. Dad, you said. And when they said that, um, most of my negotiations kind of go out the window because I did say. <laughs> and it's, it's, an, it's kind of a correlation between what God you know, says in his promises, and I'll, I'll explain this because this can be taken completely out of context, so I'll, I'll build this out in, a, in, a, in just a little bit. But when the kids say, you know, you said, and you know what the funny thing is? My wife and I, Vicky and I, my gorgeous, beautiful wife, um, we laugh about this because she sees when they say it. But then there are times that she'll come to me and she'll say, Andre, but you said. And then she, pull, she pulls it out. She pulls the card, you said. But you said. It's only been six months. Give it a break. <laughs> but you said we are going to go out to dinner. But you said that, you know, we, we can do this. And, and again, I have to go back to it. And like, you know, I did say. So with those four words, my negotiation is going to go out the window. I made them a promise. I gave them my word. What kind of a father would I be 
you know, kind of example what I said, if I went back on my word, broke my promise. I tried to never do that. I want to have their trust. I want to make promises that I keep, and I don't make promises to them lightly. But let me clarify one point. I still decide when to do it, whatever it is that I said I will do. I told them when they were three or four, they'll get some kind of an electric bike. I didn't tell them when, but I said I would. But I still decide when I'm going to do it. I'm still, the, I'm still their father, and I only allow what I said I would do when it is appropriate. And sometimes things change. And I need to use my discernment whether it is something that I want to do for them or not. So sometimes there is a chance where I will say <laughs> something, and then they will say, but you said, and I have to go back on my word. Not because I'm breaking it, and I will explain it to them why it is that we can do certain things that I said that I would. New, new, new facts came up, new evidence showed up, something is now clear to me that I did not know in the past, now I know, things changed, sorry guys, we can't do so and so. It is not the case with our Father. He's a sovereign God, and He is not obligated to do anything for us. Even when we call on His promises, He's not obligated to make anything or do anything for us. But the beauty of God is, and I want to read this so that I don't miss a point that I want to make sure that I say, my promises to my children are not exactly the same thing as what God has planned and purposed and willed for us based on His desires according to His calendar. So while I make some promises and I don't want to keep them, as you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and sometimes the promise I make today may not be something that I want to do later. That is not the case with God because He's sovereign and what He promised, He promised it in His perfect calendar, even if it is 4,000 years later. It is something that He does knowing back, forth, forward, backwards, His promises are guaranteed. Even though sometimes those promises don't come the way that we would want them to come. We want them now, we want them today, we want them tomorrow, we want a break, we want this, we want that. One of the most common prayers that we get in this ministry here, you know, through the website is financial breakthrough. People ask for money, people ask for different things. But we can take a look at example of Job, how much happened to him and how he was restored later. We can take an example of few other people that have not had their prayers answered right away, but how they were restored afterwards. So it's not our timing, it's God's timing. It's not something that we should ask always about me, me, me. But we learned from the scriptures that we went over today that if we focus on the things of the kingdom, if we focus on things of God, He will add all the other things that we need in this life to have a life that is um, pleasing to God, that is worth our living. Um, and the prayers that we pray when we call on His promises are going to be promises that He wanted to fulfill in us. And it's not selfish prayers of things we just want, but it's promises that He made for us. So it's best that we... And I've, so I've learned this topic about using scriptures and promises in my prayers before, but I never knew to apply them this way. I never knew about calling in the name of the Lord. I never knew the background of it. I just knew that there are promises in the Word and I should call on them. I didn't know why. Now, based on this study, I understand where it's coming from. There's biblical um, foundation for it. And I hope that we as a church are able to now start praying in this biblical manner where we focus on the kingdom come, your will be done, and the other things will fall into place. And we call on the promises, not in our selfish ways, but on ways that God has ordained in his word. And I will close with that. So let me, let me, let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for our salvation and all your promises. We thank you for your word and the privilege to be able to call on your name. 
Help us, Lord, to start praying according to your promises with less focus on ourselves and more on what you want to accomplish in this world through us, with us, having a chance to be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.